Hello everybody and welcome back to Everson Motor Racing Podcast. This is episode number 90. Nearly at 100. Nearly at 100. Um, it's been a while. We've had a few weeks away. Um, sorry about that. But I hope you did enjoy the most recent podcast I did with Sean Dylan Kelly and Max Toth. That was a fun one. Very enjoyable. Uh, go back and listen to it if you would like. Um, very good one. Um, as well, thank you for everybody who has subscribed to the podcast as well. Much appreciated. Um, you're helping support the podcast and obviously you'll get special content and things like that um, as time goes on. So yeah, look out for that as the season goes on. I'm sure we'll uh, be pumping out some content for you as the season goes on, as I've just said. But it's episode 90. We didn't do who can guess number 89. Like, I already can't get my words out. This is great. <laughs> Good start. Good start. Yeah, standard practice for me. Um, <laughs> but episode 89, we didn't pick riders with number 89. So Lauren is the only person with me today because Cameron's in Portugal. Selfish mother trucker. Um, so I'm going to need riders with number 89, please, Lauren. Well, Cameron and I aren't very good at this anyway. No. But the no. only one I can think of is, of course, Jorge Martin. Yeah. So that's that's all I've got in the locker here with the riders for 39. Yeah. I mean, Jorge Martin is, like we say, the obvious one. Um, yeah. I think most people get that one, so that's all right. Um, there are a few others. There's Marcos Uriarte, uh, who runs in the Junior GP for the Laglis squad. Uh, Fraser Rogers in BSB. Alan Tesha as well. That's about it, really. Um, so then, what about riders of number 90? That's a tough one. There is one that I can think of who made like a... Um, there's two, actually, think about it. There's one who used to race in Grand Prix years ago, and then there's one who made a Moto2 wildcard appearance a long time ago. Mm. No, I'm not even going to try and embarrass myself no. to try and... <laughs> to think of anyone <laughs> no yeah, might be the best. <laughs> um so there is lucas mahias did a wild card years ago man number oh, 90 right okay and then yeah and then the one that did one at full time was Adjian gayotai can never pronounce his name um and he ran i think in the one two five class way back when um but yes yeah, so we are back it's just me and lauren this time like i've said because cameron is away <laughs> Obviously, there is no Jacob, um, basically, without going into detail. Uh, we've parted ways with Jacob on the podcast. Uh, wish him the best of luck with his new podcast. But, yeah, Jacob will no longer be appearing on the podcast. So, yes. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> so, we've had, obviously, we're on to race week now. This week, we will see the riders in all three classes go back on track. Finally. After quite a while, since yeah, obviously since late November, and yeah, I'm, I've got mixed feelings about this season. To be honest, I don't know about you, Lauren. I'm really excited about this season. I can't lie. I the only thing I'm not excited about is sprint races. Yeah, I think we've talked about that loads. Though I just think it's a bit much. I think doing it at some circuits would have been cool, like they do at F1, but to mm. have it added like constantly to the calendar is something I'm a bit worried about um but overall for the season i'm really really excited i think there's just so much 
I don't know, like interesting moves, riders with new teams, rookies, like in all three classes, it's going to be really, really exciting. And I don't know if it's just because yeah. I'm like weirdly obsessed with the sport that I think it's going to be good. But no, yeah, I think it's going to be a really, really good season. And hopefully Ducati won't just run away with it. Mm, that's very true. I think it's going to be a tricky one. Like, I don't know, like... Obviously, we've got sprint races coming up, and I'm like, yeah, more bikes on track, but I'm also like, oh, more work. Yeah. <laughs> but also, I'm like, I don't know, like, it should be really good. I just, personally, I'm just a bit like, hmm, about this season. I don't know why. I've got, like, a weird feeling about it. Oh, yeah. I, I do think it's going to throw a complete spanner in the works. I feel like this season is going to be completely different to the last couple of years and I don't really know why because nothing is really changing apart from the sprint races but yeah I feel like there is sort of a, a weird feeling coming into Aura. this year yeah there is isn't there I don't know yeah I can't I can't actually pinpoint why can't pinpoint what it is but yeah it's gonna be a, a weird one we've got 21 rounds this year as well which is gonna mm. be a long season well Hopefully. maybe 20 because India maybe 20. has yeah. been already spoken about, maybe not happening. Yeah, India might not go ahead because it's something to do with track, I believe, and them not being able to have the everything ready on time. You'll see, it has to basically these tracks have to go through like homologation, mm. um, and they're basically saying that the Indian track might not be ready, like with the Finland track that has never appeared, or the Circuit of Wales track that we we're meant to have years ago that also never materialized let's go back but, to donnington <laughs> yeah let's go back to donnington why not just add another donnington in there another british grand prix why not um but yeah so the indian one might not go ahead um so that might bring it down to 20 i would like to see in the motor gp title fight it would like it would, i wouldn't want to see it wrapped up like four or five rounds to go yeah you know it was nice last year that it went down to valencia like obviously mm. we kind of knew when we hit Valencia, that it was going to be Peko. Obviously, still anything can happen. You know, Peko could have broke his leg and not raced, and Fabio could have won. But we kind of were at the thing where it was like, this is going to be Peko's title to lose at this point. Yeah. So I want to see it basically be a bit more open this year because last year was a bit more... It was kind of a Ducati Cup, and I think looking at the testing results and things like that when we had Portimao, it's very much a Ducati Cup again. You know, you look at the top 10, you've got Bangnaya, you've got Zarco, and you've got Quattro in third. Don't know where the hell he pulled that from. Yeah. Uh, he said he used a 2021 setup and managed to get some data, which is really good. Mm. Then it goes back to Bazzecchi, Bastianini, Marquez, Martin, Binder, and Leish. Like, that is an insane amount of Ducatis in the top 10. Yeah. Um, yeah. Was it one, two, three, four, five, six, seven Ducatis in the top ten? I mean, at points there was like all eight of them in the top ten as well, which is just a yeah. bit ridiculous. Although, what in saying that, like, if it is competitive and it just so happens to be Ducatis, like it will be annoying. But if it's competitive racing and we have the element of like we don't know who's gonna win it, then I do think that it will be still an interesting championship to watch it'll just be oh, that yeah. bit annoying that it is all the caddies and the other manufacturers aren't getting close to them but maybe in a couple of years the other manufacturers will be able to have made that step up or even throughout mm. the season they might be able to make that step up like we're not sure i feel like 
we sort of assume that every week Ducati are going to dominate and they usually do in qualifying but then in the race there is always you know a couple other manufacturers up there and yeah. they throw a spanner in the works so yeah, I think like it'll be Fabio, good like Fabio yeah. for example has got the potential to absolutely throw some spanners in the works Mark Marquez um, Mark if, if the Honda's working, then we'll, we'll see about that. I'm not too sure yeah. about that one. Marcus is not a happy bunny, was he, after Portimao? No. <laughs> Again? No. <laughs> Basically saying that the um, Honda haven't really made a step forward, which is great. Uh, that's just what you want going into a season. Let's um, hope he's sandbagging. Yeah, I maybe they are. Is, but... <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> but if there's anyone who can extract, extract everything out of a motorbike, it will be Mark Marquez. Yeah. Uh, much like Fabio on the Yamaha at the moment. I think Aprilia are showing some great signs. I think yeah. obviously Aleish looks really good as always. Um, Miguel Oliveira looks really comfy on that Aprilia as well. You know, he's 0.6 on day two of the test from P1. May as well get the combined days up, which I don't think it'll change too much. Uh, no, it's pretty much identical. Yeah, all the best times are set on day two. But, you know, Oliveira, Vinales, and Leisha very much match with each other. Um, they're literally, like, within a tenth of each other on the day two combined times. Rafa Fernandez has adapted quite well to that Aprilia as well. I think the Aprilia's got a lot of potential in that. Um, it's just if they can kind of... Obviously, it is only testing, so they're not trying to just bang as fast as lap time in that they can. Um, but Bagnaia was very fast and actually set an all-time lap record at this year's test it was the first mm. ever rider to drop into the 37s he did it in testing at portimao last week that is scary that is straight away setting a precedent that i'm out here to double this up i'm out here to save my my um you know my record i want to yeah. win two titles you know i think so but i like it's obvious that he's gonna want to come out really strong you know picking the number one plate a lot of people doubting him last season. He knows himself now. He's got to come in guns blazing. I think it'll be interesting now. I think Enea Bashanini is going to cause absolute chaos, chaos. and carnage. <laughs> um, so I think Peko knows himself that to retain the title and to repeat you know, winning, he's going to have to start strong because that was his downfall last season. You know, He could have had the championship wrapped up very early on if he just performed at the start of the season rather than performing halfway through the season. So, yeah, he knows what he has to do, but I don't yeah. know if he'll be able to do it with the likes of Bashanini breathing down his neck from, That's a from thing, the get-go. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, I was watching that um, Dorna produce. Obviously, they put it on their own thing and now they put it on YouTube. Mm. Uh, their own little Drive to Survive thing this year. Uh, what's it called? There can be only one. I was watching that. I've, I'm on the last episode now. No spoilers. Um, yeah, I haven't watched really it no yet. <laughs> there isn't really spoilers. We know Pekka with the title. Like, but, <laughs> um, it is really good. There's only four episodes, but it's really good because you mm. see um, they're in like, the Ducati garage and they're at Sepang. And Pekka crashes in FP3. Yeah, and has to go to mm. Q1. And they're like, oh. Oh, no, Pekka. And it's like, Pekka's like, oh. They're like, stop letting the pressure get to you. Stop letting them get in your head and all that. And Pekka was like, oh, they're not in my head. It's fine. I'm just trying to get these lap times in. Da, 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 da. And they're like, yeah, but they're getting into your head by you trying to do this and by you trying to show that you can do this. And it's quite interesting to see how Pekka reacted to the pressure because then he went out again 
I think it was then Q2, because it got through Q1. Yeah. Q2 and crashed again. And then they're all like, calm down, dude. And he's like, <laughs> oh, I'm just trying to da 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 And then obviously Fabio messed his lap up, had a broken finger and things yeah. like that. Um, but it was interesting to see Pecco's mentality because he has this thing where he kind of, he's either on it or his head just goes south. Yeah. And oh, it'd be interesting time. to see. Yeah. And like Jack Miller, I love Jack Miller, of course. Um, shout out to Jack Miller as well, who's going to be a dad. Yeah. How yeah. exciting. Yeah. Very exciting. Congratulations to him and his wife. What's his wife's name? Owen? I can't Ruby? remember her name. That's it, Ruby. Ruby. It's on the top of my tongue. Yeah, Ruby. Congratulations to the pair of them, Ruby Miller and Jack Miller. We're going to have a junior Miller. World champion. Future world yeah. champ, I'm telling you. 100%. He's going to have such a good life, though, isn't he? <laughs> Just riding around dirt bikes on the farm and stuff. Oh, so jealous of that kid <laughs> already. Um, but, like, going back to the thing, Jack didn't. No. Jack didn't really push Bangnaya last year. and Didn't no. push him the year before. Like, Bangnaya has not had a teammate who is able to not only stay with him, but beat him and battle with him like Bastianini yeah. could last year. And Bastianini now has all the same equipment and tools at his disposal that Bangnaya does. That could throw up some interesting conundrums. Well, I think that's going to be the biggest the biggest thing. Like, Obviously, at the second half of the season, we've seen how close Bastianini could get to Banyaya. And like you said, now that the fact that they're on equal machinery, they're both on the red bikes, Like, this is a childhood dream for the both of them. Peko's got the, the upper hand here with having the championship under his belt. Enea mm. is going to do absolutely everything he can to make sure that Peko finishes behind him. Yeah, he is going to be absolutely throwing the kitchen sink at him. Oh, and yeah. I genuinely think, like, when we saw, when you looked at, actually, they even said this on the um, the thing that I was just mentioning in the documentary, yeah. that Bashinini, when he was at Sepang, was riding about 80%. Like, they even said in the garage, they were like, Bashinini's only riding at 80%. They're like, yeah. That's Whereas scary. Obviously... That's so <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> yeah, they're like, he's not even pushing. He's not even trying. And then, because it was in the Yamaha box, they were like, he's not even trying. And they're like, yeah. And then I think Lynn Jarvis was like, he's basically just using, he's basically being his bodyguard, being yeah. by now his bodyguard, which made me laugh because I was like, oh, I had the same thing in 2015. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, <laughs> Team orders? What? Yeah, what? No. <laughs> but yeah, um, so that was interesting to see. Obviously, mm. then Bashini went for the overtake and it was like a clear case that it wasn't being a bodyguard. And then you saw, obviously, <laughs> the three main Ducati men of Gigi Dalinia, yeah. uh, Tardotzi, and what's the last one? Chibati. That's it, Chibati, going crazy and going like, what's he doing? What's going on? Da, 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 da. Um, but that's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out in the Ducati camp because I think, of course, Banyaya and Bastini can both battle for the championship yeah. this year. But will Ducati maybe try and play play with that? Will they just let them go? You two battle it out. But then there's a case of like, if one of them has certain to basically get a championship and the other one's like, maybe there, but maybe not, you know, and they may be taking points off each other. Would there be team orders in there maybe? I'm... Yeah, I'm a bit confused about this one. I think I'm a bit scared that there's too many of them. You know, you've obviously got the three head honchos that you just mentioned and two riders that we know are going to be up there at the front. 
there's just too many mm. variables and I think it could all crash and burn or go fantastically well. But then you still are going to end up with the if both riders are at the front week in, week out, who wins the championship? Is there going to be a little bit of like playing around with it and team orders basically to, to mm. who wins the championship? Like who would they pick? Um, like I think they'd pick Pecco over Anaya. Yeah, I think they'd pick Pecco purely because he's one of the number one. Yeah, exactly. He's... And it would be the but... second championship, and you want you want the numbers and the statistics on your side. So it's hard yeah. to sort of look past them saying, "Oh no, let Anaya win the championship." Yeah, absolutely. I do think though that with Takati, I do think they would let them kind of just stay out of it, maybe and just go you two sort it out, battle and track. Yeah. I do think that that would be the case, but if it goes down to Valencia, for example, and there is a third person, for example, Fabio is like within reach, within yeah. five points of it, and them two are scrapping for the thing as well. It'd be interesting to see how Ducati would play it because Ducati are not scared to go the Formula One route of yeah. swap places. You know, we're going to do team orders. They might not say it. They might come out, not come out and go, oh yeah, by the way, yeah, we are doing team orders this weekend. There is clearly some sort of I wouldn't say manipulation, but there's definitely something in favour of some riders. I don't think yeah. necessarily the Bagnaia or Bastini would be favoured. But I do think that if one of them was closer to the championship than the other one, and there was a third party in in play, I do think maybe there'd be a thing of, right, just make sure that you either beat this third party and ensure a Ducati championship. Yeah. Or beat this guy, but don't overtake the other guy, if that makes sense. Yeah. I suppose they've got the comfort in that, though, because if the two of them are at the front and you've, say, for example, got the likes of Fabio or whoever else it may be, the third person in the championship, they've got all their other bikes at the disposal, though, and if they can Mm. get those bikes in front of the third-party man, they're safe. It doesn't matter, then, if the two guys at the front are battling and... You know, there's a concern then and, oh, who's going to win it? If they can get the other Ducatis up there and in, like, as a buffer, basically, to the third-place yeah. man, they're sweet. And whoever then yeah. finish, crosses the line first ends up being the world champion. And yeah, I think that would be matter. a good way to sort of let it play out if it does get to that stage anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Like, they've got all the tools of their disposal, you know, with Marini, Bezzecchi, Marquez, and all that now that they can, obviously, Zarco, Martin, of course, as well. They can just kind of go right. We need you yeah. <laughs> to get You're in front a of big fat bonus to go and ride in front of this rider here and make sure he doesn't yeah. get past you. Like you've yeah. got it. You might as well finesse it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like Bazzetti at um, Sepang when he was yeah. catching up on Cotterai in the last lap. You know, um, I do think Bazzetti. There's a few riders I think really could. Mm. Impresses you. I think Bazzetti is one of them. Marini, definitely another yeah. one. And Alex Marquez, all oh, three yeah. of them look very, very promising. I think it wouldn't be unreal to expect podiums from all three of them. Yeah. And it wouldn't be out of the equation to see at least one of them, if not two, potentially all three of them, win a race this year. I think all three. Definitely mm. all three. It, I mean, it depends, obviously, but Bazzetti's had his podium already Alex Marquez has had podiums in the past on the Honda on the Repsol Honda so I think 
now especially with Alex Marquez sort of stepping out of that Honda shadow like you don't hear Marquez and Ducati in the same sentence it's a bit weird so I think he's mm. really gonna want to prove a lot and obviously we know the bike's unreal considering Bastianini was on it last year so mm. it's a, it's a good bike and he'll he's gonna want to to prove a lot this season I think yeah absolutely he's got he's got a lot on his plate now to try and it's like a last chance saloon kind of thing it's like a case of yeah perform or you're out kind of thing he can perform and he's done it before Alex Marquez of course we're on about um he's got podiums and things this year but he was kind of dumped out of Honda and he is kind of he's a bit very well aware that he's now on the championship winning bike and there is a lot of stake here in terms of his reputation his career and things like that um but I do think Alex Marquez can live up to that expectation I think he's found a good family a good home there in Grassini um mm. I don't see unless Salach and Alcoba can pull off an absolute madness this year. I can't see them trying to come for a seat for the next year or two anyway. Um, see, so I, I would. He's quite safe there. I wouldn't be worried about the. I wouldn't be worried about the Moto Two riders that they have in Grassini. I'd be worried about outside parties. You're looking at the likes of Tony Arbolino and stuff like that. Yeah. Very fast, young. Italian riders as well you know I'm sure they're going to want Italian riders on their Italian bikes so I think he's to worry about maybe the outside talent in Moto2 but yeah I could see him having a a solid couple of years here to be able to adapt and to pull off some good performances so yeah definitely two years I think we could give Alex Marquez on the Grassini before there's any rash decisions made anyway yeah especially with obviously Bastianini because he got third place overall last year on the bike, um, which is really, really, really impressive. Yeah. So I do think Alex Marcus is in a good position now um, to kind of come out of shell and basically show what he can do when he's got the right equipment under his belt and under underneath him. Um, really looking forward to that. There's quite, like we said, with Marini and Bezzecchi as well. Marini obviously topped the test at Sepang. Very impressive. Um, I do think Marini's obviously a slow burner. We've mentioned it before. Yeah. Um, last two years, he's kind of takes his time. You know, most of two, he took his time, and then eventually in 2020 was battling for the championship. His best result was improved to P4 this year. So, or last year, sorry. So, I do think there is definitely podiums in there for him. It's just a case of him being consistent with it as well, and. Same with other riders, like Johan Zarco. This is interesting. Yeah, like, how long are Ducati going to keep him there? Is he there literally just to be a test, like a test mule, basically, for them? Because he goes out, performs really well at the first half of the season, then we see it year in, year out, then the second half of the season comes and he's the one doing all the tests, like getting all the different parts in, testing all the new arrow and stuff like that. Like... I don't know, it's just really strange that you're, like, I don't know, the Pramac bike obviously then is the step up to the the full factory team. Are they not going to want to get, like, up-and-coming riders in or are they, like, specifically using the VR46 and the Grassini bike now as their, like, talent pool to move up? It's, a, like, they've moved in a in a really weird direction, I think, with this. Yeah, because Pramac was always kind of the B team. They still are, yeah. they've got obviously the current machinery, whereas VR46 and Grassini don't. But I think, yeah, Zarco's kind of like a rolling test mule, if that makes sense. Like Piro's kind of like one guy situated at some points and will come out for some rounds and do it, whereas Zarco's kind of the guy that 
will testings throughout the entire season. Yeah. There's got a consistency of doing it over a full season and knowing the bike. Um, he's always very good in the opening half of the season and then the other half, second half of the season, he kind of falls back a bit. Um, but be interesting to see. I think hopefully he can get his first win. There's 42 chances this year of him doing it. <laughs> I think he can probably get a sprint race win if he doesn't get anything. Mm. Um... But yeah, I, I'm not sure. Like, I would love to see him get that first victory, but I'd love to see him get a proper victory and not a sprint race victory. Yeah, I mean, I would take anything just to see a backflip from him again. Um, because I was yeah. watching they were doing their like little like rider introductions thing on MotoGP Instagram the other day, and he was like, "Oh, my my that. winning celebration is a backflip." And I was like, "Oh God, yeah, do you remember that? Like, it's yeah. been so long since we've seen it." So yeah, I think if he could win a race on Sunday. And we get a proper celebration. I don't know. I feel like it could like reignite a fire inside him. Like I just feel like he's completely lost in the championship. And mm. like he's such a talented rider. I really think he had the potential to be winning championships. And that's what it just got lost in the Pramac team. Yeah, it's it's a strange one. Like his career has been very odd from winning two Moto two championships yeah. to tech three and he was like good there and then he kind of just I don't know. He uh, went to KTM and it all went a bit shit. Did the Honda for a little bit, and then they kind of found himself again at Ducati. I think he's got a good home there at Ducati. Yeah. He's kind of very happy there. It's just a case of what they're going to do because there's a lot of talent in Moto Two that's looking to come up in the next years. You know, Aaron Canet, obviously. You've got uh, Celestino Vietti, uh, Tony Arbolino, the big one, Pedro Acosta, who's yeah. going to obviously be trying everything he can to make sure he doesn't sit on a KTM <laughs> and Moto GP. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, so it's just a case of like, because yeah, I don't know. You at the end of the day, you don't want this talent to go to waste with Pedro Costa, and you see it all the time. You see these absolute stars of riders, the incredible riders, come up, and then they don't get the bike. Sorry, that's great for them, and then they fall back. You know, like I don't want to talk too much about cars, but you look at um, Formula One. You got a guy called Oscar Piastri who went in and won F three yeah. in his first attempt. You know, as a rookie, then went into F2 the next year and won that as a rookie as well. Couldn't get a seat on the F1 grid. Gets one now in the McLaren and they're absolute crap and he can't, you know, show what he's, show his talent, you know. And yeah. So you kind of want the best for a rider like Pedro Costa to then be able to get on the machinery where he can flourish and show his talent. Unfortunately at the moment, or fortunately for him, that seems to be Ducati and thankfully there are eight of them on the grid. Um, maybe six if the R46 do revert to Yamaha. Which, which I, is... bloody fingers crossed, I hope so, I think. Do you? They need, well, maybe not for VR46, but for Yamaha as a whole. I think it'd be a really good mm. move just with the whole, everyone complaining about, you know, the, the big loss that we've Cutting had with Valentino not being in the class anymore. To have a VR46 mm. branded Yamaha, I think would bring a lot of people back sort of into it mm. and watching it and i think it would be good for the academy and yeah i i i see it as it as a good thing if yeah, they did do of, it if they did do it yeah the academy's changed a lot in recent years it's yeah. very strange how it's kind of gone it's gone from being like um where they're trying to nurture talent but now they've got the talent there you know like the marini bazzecchi um obviously morbidelli there as well there is another one on the grid i can't remember who Paco. Uh, that's it, Pecco, of course. <laughs> uh, the obvious one. <laughs> they've kind of stepped back. They've, you know, they've withdrawn their Moto Three squad. They've withdrawn their Moto Two squad now, with that obviously now being Fantic. Yeah. Um, 
Antonelli's out of the academy but kind of still being shown. I don't really know what's going on Antonelli. Mino's definitely still part of the academy but I have no idea he's racing this year. He's not on any of the junior GP entry lists or anything like that. Uh, he's not obviously on the Supersport grid. They got rid of Manzi this year. They, I think, are going to get rid of Elia Bartolini now as well. Albert Asura's gone. So realistically, they're only really focusing on the current MotoGP riders. Um, it's it's strange. So it's, Did they get like yeah. a little bit big for their boots or something? Like I feel like they wanted to just nurture so many young and up-and-coming riders that I think then as soon as you've seen someone with the VR46 Academy, you expected them to be like amazing the most unreal rider you've ever seen in your life and then when it wasn't going that way like i feel like sponsors and stuff like that and people wanting to get involved in the academy then i think it's sort of i don't know i feel like people had really unreal expectations for the academy but like you said now you've got the the four academy riders in the premier class it does sort of make sense that now they're focusing on those four riders it's it's a really yeah. strange. I don't know. It's really strange that they put all their money into like funding teams and stuff like that, and now there's nothing. Yeah, really. Yeah, there's like loads, and now there's not. I think maybe it's just because their goal was to try and get some MotoGP riders, yeah. some riders into MotoGP. And now Pecco's won the ultimate prize. It's kind of a case of right, we've achieved everything we want to do. Now we're just going to focus on what we've got. Yeah. And then maybe in a few years, when if say Morbidelli's le- left the class, you know, and you know the riders are getting a bit older and things like that they'll look back into it and go right okay we've had the infrastructure before we'll start nurturing talent but it's a weird yeah they've kind of stopped i know some riders like uh balega and uh baldazari and foggia all left the academy uh baldazari left because there was too many riders and now it doesn't seem to be many riders in there at all um but yeah, I think as time has gone on things have changed you know the fact that they've actually withdrawn the moto 2 team as well is yeah, it just shows their intent to kind of focus on what they've got now as a Premier Class MotoGP squad. Obviously, it's expensive as well. Yeah. Um, and that, obviously, money will play a big part in that. But, you know, Celestino Vietti winning rate is a Moto2. Still good for the brand, but they're just not one of the same sponsors because Fantic, which is kind of Fantic are working with Cardoso Racing now, um, which have teams all in the Junior GP squads and things like that, and they've got like Italian rider Alfano Pascale things in that uh, races for them, and then Cardoso obviously race with Bo in Moto Three with mm. Anna Carrasco and David Munoz, so it's come gone from more of like a Italian kind of thing of trying to push Italian riders back into in a Spanish kind of thing. Yeah. You know, Borja Gomez raced for Cardoso last year and he's there now. Um, you've got a Greek rider riding for them. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Um, and you got another guy. I can't remember any of their names. I can remember their faces, but not their names. That's really annoying, isn't it? Um, let's have a look quickly. Don't ask me names, because I'll never, <laughs> no. I'll never know. No. So they've gone. Yeah. So that's it. Roberto Garcia, Spanish. Mm. Um, Philip Rahacek. That's it. He's Czech, not Greek. Um, and then you got Alfano Pascali, who is Italian. But it's gone from like more of an Italian thing of getting the Italian riders back. And they've just kind of gone, right, we've got some Italian riders here and, right, you can have a back Spaniard. Yeah. Kind of thing. But I guess Rossi's kind of done what he wanted to do. He's got his team and so that's how it goes now, really. But... I suppose the, the end goal surely was always to get to MotoGP and now they've been yeah. there, well, since basically 
Marini moved up and he was all the VR46 sponsorship. I know some of the other Academy of Riders were already in the class, but to have yeah. your actual VR46 branded bike was the end goal. I mean, I assume anyway. Yeah. I just wonder about what's going to happen in the future. For example, if Marini... But actually, I would say they're Academy Riders. If, mm. I don't know, Tony Arbolino needed a spot in MotoGP and Marini had moved to Pramac, for example, and there was a spot. And they've got... The only kit rider they've got then in Moto2 is Celestino Vietti and he'd signed up for Pramac as well, for example. Like, they're going to reach a point where they're going to have to sign non-Academy Riders to their team. Yeah. Yeah, because all these younger riders in lower classes have sort of not disappeared, but the the talent pool, like we said, in the academy is a lot smaller now. So, yeah, you do sort of wonder, are they going to be looking elsewhere? Because, yeah, the likes of Marini and Bezeki are going to want to take a step up onto current bikes rather than running around on a satellite team the whole time. And I know Pramac technically is a satellite team, but you're on the you're on the exact same Ducati as the factory yeah. team so that's automatically a step up so yeah it'll be interesting to see if they do look outside their talent pool I don't see it though which is no. yeah it's it's just weird maybe they'll bring it back up maybe in a few years and try because you're not going to put Andrea Mino on no, no. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's what that's happening yeah we're gearing up to see him on the 2024 yeah. MotoGP grid maybe yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, speaking of Moto 2 and 3 quickly as well, like, they've obviously had their tests at, um, Portimao, and of course, in Moto 2, it was none other than Pedro Acosta, who was the fastest rider. I mean, comes a surprise to absolutely no one. No. Because <laughs> Pedro Acosta just seems to be the best thing since sliced bread at the moment. Um, yeah. Like, I, it's hard to look past him now as a championship. Fighter, well, you know? like, yeah, there's, but there's Agura. Agura, of course, looks really good. Um, Ferminaldega looks really good. Aaron Canet, of course. Um, Chantra, Avellino, Lowe's, of course, as well. But it just seems to be that, I don't know, Pedro's got that thing about him. You know, some riders just have... It's, what that he's Pedro Acosta, yeah. Yeah, that he's Pedro Acosta, you know, and it's hard to <laughs> um it's a bit I yeah, he's just got this pizzazz about him, hasn't he, that I don't I don't see any other rider having this kind of speed for this year. Like I'd be very surprised if he doesn't win the championship. To be fair, when you look at sort of riders past you do sort of, you look at Mark Marquez and who has sort of come after him as someone who, like the generational talents. And this sounds so up Pedro Acosta-like, but yeah, at the minute, all signs are pointing that way. I'm not going to put him in the same boat as Mark Marquez yet or no. Valentino Rossi or Jorge Lorenzo or all these, you know, great riders that we all call goats. But like all the signs are pointing towards that this is what's going to happen for him you know if his career keeps going the way it's going he is gonna be unstoppable i think oh yeah he's definitely like a like like a generational talent yeah you know there is really like i don't know there's just not really any other riders you can look past and be like yeah you know what like they could kind of 
be better than him you know like yeah. you look at obviously when Mark came in of course he came up really quickly and really yeah. pressed in the junior categories and things like that Fabio Cotteraro obviously really pressed in the Chev when it was the Chev but then kind of failed to impress in Moto2 until he won the race obviously struggled in Moto3 and has come up and he is a superb rider whoever talent spotted him I hope he's lying in a nice sunny villa somewhere like That's Lamazali, isn't it? yeah <laughs> like I swear to God, like to be able to pick someone out like that, yeah, is absolutely incredible. Because he came into MotoGP and half the people were going, like, "What well, are you doing here?" Yeah. yeah, and I think we've had a. There are a few riders like that too that I think in Moto Two at the minute they're sort of just there, thereabouts, slightly further back the field that you wouldn't even think that are sitting there that are exactly the same, like in the same position as Fabio Quattararo was a couple mm. of years ago that are just waiting for spots to free up yeah like there are some two riders i think that could hop on a MotoGP bike and do incredibly well like manuel gonzalez would definitely be one for me yeah um but yeah you don't like because fabio is superb of course he's a MotoGP world champion and what he was able to do last year is amazing is and obviously even peco said you know fabio is probably the most talented rider on the grid right now Mm. is he a generational talent though I would say no. No, but it's it's different when you. I suppose when you look at generational talents, like you do automatically go. Well, in my mind, anyway, I go Valentino Rossi, Mark Marquez, and now I'm looking towards Pedro Costa. We'll, you know, we're waiting to see on that one. Time will tell. Yeah. Yeah, but then you're looking at talented riders: Casey Stoner, Danny Pedrosa, Jorge Lorenzo, like freaks of nature. But they're yeah. like that's just not the same thing. If that makes no. any sense whatsoever, like I don't know, these people are talented, and like, f- yeah, like you said, freaks of nature, aliens. But mm. it's different than being that one generational talent, and that's the yeah. thing is that the freaks of nature can never beat the generational talents. I don't think. No, yeah, like if you had like a, I don't want to go on ifs and buts because you know, like if my grandma had wheels, she'd be a bike and not lucky. <laughs> but <laughs> as Gino De Campo eloquently said on uh, TV once <laughs> if you know if you even get that reference um, but you know like like we say about generation talents like if Marquez had raced 2020 2020 2021 2022 and the Honda was up to scratch it'd be I would I would think personally from my own opinion we'd be sitting on at least a 10 time champion yeah. if not an 11 um, obviously that would be I think he would have said 10 and then all right, I'm out of here. Do you? Like, it just well, beat Ross's record and game. Unless, he, unless it was, he, he was able to beat Agostini's record. Because, I think, yeah. like, any rider's going to want to beat Rossi's because then that puts them up there. But at then the if top, you're looking at the yeah. actual record books, you're going to have to go the extra mile. 15. Yeah. I think if Marquez was on an 11 now, coming into the season with 12, and he's only 30 years old... I reckon he could easily have stared down the barrel of 15 titles. Um, Do you end up like Rossi, though? What, where you kind of... Wishing for that 10th championship where you're just... To the point where you you can't Yeah, it then sort of goes the wrong way for you. Like Lewis Hamilton at the moment, wishing for that 8th. Yeah. Yeah. Like, everything, he's been geared up to beat Schumacher for years now, and it's not happening, and I don't... You're looking at it now, you're going, it's not going to happen. Like, with Mark now... 
I don't know. Even getting to ten, I still yeah. like, I still don't see it now. Yeah, because Mark was geared up to beat Rossi. Yeah. Mark was geared up to you know beat Rossi's records, and he got to eight, and it all kind of fell apart for him. Obviously, through his own doing, we we yeah. me out. It wasn't like ever like an alien came down and fucked up for him. Mark. Yeah. Mark unfortunately was the uh, victim of his own actions. It was bound to happen though. Like it was, yeah. No was like, one could crash the amount that he crashes and walk away unscathed. Yeah, not that many times. No. Not with the velocity and strength of the accidents that he had, you know. Um, yeah, it's just interesting. Like, and then you look, obviously, because uh, we are doing a Portimao preseason thing. <laughs> you look to it now, and you look at how he looks now on the bike, and like I. It's different. I I couldn't pip him for a podium this weekend. I couldn't do it. I don't think I could. No. Because well. as much as he's talented and as much as he's got it there, he's like... Because I remember, again, going back to this documentary because it was really good, Marquez, when he came back, he said on documentary that it was like he had changed manufacturers. Yeah. It was like he had jumped onto a different brand's bike. The Honda was that radically different and... I think he's probably, although obviously Jacob so eloquently would say that Marcus could win on a 1987 Bull Taco. Um, okay. I just, yeah, um, I just don't think that the bike is what it was for him, obviously, and he can't. No, well, you do like to hope that he's back at 100%. He says it himself, he's back at 100%. After going through what he's gone through, he will mm. never be the same rider again. You know, he had to go through a couple of years of riding differently, you know, where he had to put his arm in a complete different position. He couldn't yeah. save the bike how he used to. You know, all those surgeries, like, okay, yeah, he might be at 100% and he might be in the same mindset that he was in 2019, for example, but he will never be the same. And it is hard to sort of, see how he would be able to reproduce performances like mm. how he used to after everything that he's been through. Yeah. Yeah. And you wonder, you then, you look at the championship this year and obviously, because we want to see Marcus in the battle, obviously. We want I to think see he Marcus will going, be. I think he will yeah. be in the battle. Yeah. You want to see him go toe-to-toe against Bagnaya against, because it is, like I made a post the other day, I actually did not read the comments because I knew, oh my God, <sighs> they would be, Oh, I saw that it was like over 60 on Facebook and I was like, I am not reading those. <laughs> but I made a post and it was just Fabio chasing Marquez. And mm. I was like, it's the old generation versus the new, you know, or old generation and the new. Because Marquez, unfortunately, which sounds horrific to say, is one of the oldest riders on the grid now. That's and is part scary. of the old generation. Yeah, he is part of that generation that did race against the prime. Well, not maybe not prime Rossi, but against the prime Lorenzo, against mm. the Danny Pedroza who was in his best years of his career, the twilight of his career. And you want to see what Marquez can do against these young guns at his full peak potential. Yeah. Can he do it? Like with the whole Marquez versus Stoner thing, you know, you want to see what who could win that battle. And obviously the riders now are faster than ever. They're, you know, bred from little kids to go and reach the top. You know, they've all got these academies, you know, Peko and Cotteraro uh, both came through the Estrella Galicia Academies. Um, the Mon Lao schools. Marquez himself came through it. Alex Marquez came through it. Alex Rins came through it. 
you know, and Mon- Marquez as well obviously came through Monlao, and but it was a different time then, and the bikes weren't as good then, and the bikes weren't as you know Fabio Quartararo. If you compare Quartararo Moto Three and Moto Two to Marquez in Moto Two and Moto Three, Marquez when he was in Moto Five, sorry, had the best bike by a country mile mm. in Moto Two. He had, um, as Anthony West would say, this is a quote from him. Marcus had an illegal ECU, according to Anthony <laughs> West, um, and illegal parts, you know. And so Marcus had a bit of an advantage there. Was Fabio rode, rode the Australia Galicia Moto Three and the Leopard, which was identical, the same bike to everyone else on that grid. And then in Moto Two, had the Calex, and it's identical to the rest of the grid because they're all in bloody Calexes as well. And Mark, Fabio has then had to work to extract that extra ten percent that no one else could. Whereas Marquez never did, which is why you see, because obviously he had some advantages, that's not discounting his talent. <laughs> but then it makes you wonder if Marquez now could go toe-to-toe against Fabio, who also can ride around the issues of a struggling motorbike and extract the potential. And it does make you wonder, and I would like to see how those two can fight, if they can fight against each other this year, you know? Yeah, I think they will be. And I've said it before, it's an interesting one that when you actually look at the 2023 grid, Fabio Quattararo is the only one who's gone toe-to-toe with Marc Marquez. Prime Marc Marquez and as rookie Fabio Quattararo. Like, Fabio wasn't in his prime. I still don't think he is in terms of his career, but, like, the fact that how he raced in 2021 to to win that championship was very different to how he was racing against Marc Marquez in 2019. That's a very, very exciting prospect. I sort of wish we could just take the Cali's out of it, though, yeah. and sort of just, just see what would happen. See what happened, because yeah. this, is, this is the racing that I want to see, and it's kind of annoying that there's just really good bikes on the grid the that <laughs> are going to ruin it. But I, yeah. I really do think that Fabio and, and Marquez will be fighting a lot this year, but in a really good way. Mm. So I'm sort of, I see it as that Ducati could have issues and you're going to have Fabio Quattararo and Marc Marquez and a few others, Aprilia, uh, who are going to sweep up the pieces basically and, and be there to sort of win when it all yeah. goes wrong. If it all goes wrong for Ducati. If it goes wrong, yeah. Because yeah. like with Pecco, like he's obviously proven to ride around issues as well. He won races on the Mahindra Moto 3. Mm-hmm. Um... You know, and it's gonna be interesting to see because Pecco is, I would say now, the complete article. He is the he's built for that bike. He is perfect yeah. for that bike. That Ducati is perfect for him. That's why he could go out and set a like, new lap record and blooming Portimao test instead of thirty-seven lap time. You know, and having a rider who is that perfect, like when Stoner was on, mm. you know, the, the the Ducati and he could kind of handbrake turn it everywhere and on the um, the Honda, you know, Stoner and that package was just unbeatable. It was really untouchable. And I think Bagnaia is pretty much untouchable, I think, going into the season. And so to see maybe Marquez, who is obviously regarded as one of the greatest riders to ever walk this planet, you know, if you go into the GOAT, if you talk about GOATs, you know, yes, obviously we always go to Rossi, we always go to uh, Haywood and Agostini, but if you want us to go fourth, Marquez is very much... Oh yeah, he's there. Yeah, people have Um, to realize that. No, I feel like I've been humbled in my opinion. I never was a fan of Marquez growing up, but like, you sort of have to go. Oh God, yeah, like he is up there. He like what he did was incredible. I think with Peku though, like yeah, he's the perfect 
package and like setting all these lap times and all coming into the season but it's all well and good being the fastest rider on track but like if he gets caught up in these battles which could happen mm. i don't see him coming out on top i really hope the racing is close this year i do as well because the aero and all that has just absolutely smashed yeah. just ruined the racing and i think when you have uh, the ability to battle you know Jorge Lorenzo, when you go back to Lorenzo, was so good because he could just escape. Yeah. That was his trademark, that he could just escape and he could set perfect laps. If you if he was painting a line on that track with his tyres, every lap, it would just be one singular line. You wouldn't have yeah. different lines around each corner. It'd be one singular line because he could hit every millimetre of every corner and every lap for 30 laps and win the race by 10 seconds easily. And I think Bagnaia can definitely do that. And you see him... Maybe get a bit flustered when he's got Bastianini all over him. He can still win against Bastianini, as we saw in Sepang. Um, and he can also win against Mark Marquez, as we saw in Aragon a few years ago. And Bagnaia can battle. But it's a case of not letting him get away. Because if he gets away and makes a break for it, he's gone. Yeah. Um, so that'll be interesting to see if they can kind of do that. And then you look back, if we go back to an early point about Ducati... Maybe it, the Scatty riders will be told, if you can't attack Bangnaya, you know, if you can't get him in the opening bit, let him disappear because he'll win the race. And you're a roadblock you know. then. That's the yeah. thing. Yeah. And you don't want that to happen, of course. We don't want any... We're not inferring that Ducati would do that. It's just obviously a potential. You know, these things mm. can happen. Um... But yeah, it's just very interesting, I think. How... how did we go back onto that after we started on Moto 2 talking about Pedro I don't Costa? Even know. <laughs> I don't know, because we were talking about generational talents, yeah. and I think yeah. Mark's obviously a generational talent. I don't see any other generational talents, but we do have one that could this year turn him, you know, make a name for himself with obviously Jose Antonio Rueda in Moto 3, finishing second place. Yeah. in the motor free test. There was some tricky weather conditions and things like that. You have to take that into account. But he is the first rider in history to win the Rebel Rookies and the Junior GP Championships in the same season. No other rider has done that before. Riders have come very close to it. But no rider has been able to do that. Then he's stepped on the IO bike, which is obviously where Pedro Costa was able to find his form and do really well and he is setting 1 minute 47.9 uh, in the test which if I go to I'll just try and compare it quickly to this MotoGP class why is MotoGP's website not showing Moto2 and 3 results anymore I was going to I was going to go back and have a look and see oh wait there we go Moto3 nice thank you there let's go back to Portimao and just check the Q2 times and compare it. There you go. All-time light record is a 47.2. Rueda was second in the test with a 47.9. Anyway, he did a 47.2 in session two. No so way. He, the lap record is... And he was second in that session. The lap record in Moto3 is 147.274. Sergio Garcia set in 2021 in the test. And the unofficial lap time was... 147.262, which is faster than the lap record. Oh my god. <laughs> he was beaten by by uh, no by Ricardo Rossi yeah. by half by 0.05. But 
But the fact that Rueda in his first test has gone faster than the lap record. Wow. <laughs> See, this is this is the thing. Now, Pedro Acosta is sitting at the top of the could he be the next generational talent? Then you've got Izan Guevara who is sitting underneath him and now you've got Rueda. Like, it's really hard. I would not want to be in their position moving up through the classes now because they're all going to get to MotoGP within a few years of each other. And I think that like when you look now at the young talent up and coming, like we haven't even hit the peak in most of people's careers in MotoGP no. at the minute. But when you look at what's coming up in the next five to six years, mm. I'd be scared. Like I'd be oh, terrified. really scared. Yeah. Well, like I called it the Spanish Armada a few years ago. There was a <laughs> group of riders. Um, I'll name them in a second. Who They're all part of the same group. They all race in the Rebel Rookies together. And they all did, they're all basically Spanish, of course. They've all come through like the Cuna de Campeones and the. Um, Is this not Chirica like Rins Lithia and Squad Vinales at all? It's like that. Yeah, it's basically a second coming of the Spanish Armada. Right, okay. So you've got, you've got Rueda in there, you've got Munoz in there, you've got Holgado in there, Diego Moreira, yeah, he's Brazilian, but he's part of that squad. David Alonso is another one. Uh, Ferro is Italian, but he is superb. Um, Ivan Otola, we'll go back to the only Spaniard ones quickly. Ivan Otola, David Salvador is also another one. Yeah. And then you've got, obviously, Izan Guzavara, who very much just made, made his way and managed to, like, surpass all these other guys. And obviously, he's already motor two. Pedro Costa was part of the thing. Xavi Artigas was, but he's not performing as mm. we kind of hoped he would. Fermin Aldegueo is part of that, Spanish Armada. Sergio Garcia as well. Buda Gomez could be another one who's, yeah. like... You know, these there's a influx of these like ten Spanish riders, who who I have personally said I wrote an article on it last year, can go all the way to MotoGP very quickly. Yeah, but you know, this is uh, this is what I was thinking though, because if you look slightly more than ten years ago, hmm. you had Maverick Vinales, Alex Rins, uh, Marquez's, all that coming Olivera. up through. Yeah, coming up through. And it's like, yeah, the second coming, basically, it's happening again, and it happened sort of just over 10 years ago now, and yeah. it's really scary, and I'd be really, like, it if is. I was a rider, I'd be terrified. <laughs> yeah, that's it, and it's no wonder, obviously, that Spanish riders obviously dominate it because of the infrastructure they've mm. got, and it's why riders like Scott Ogden and things like that had to go to Spain, you know, uh, Dennis Honkyu as well, and Chu, sorry, you know, had to go to Spain to try and try and take advantage of all this you yeah. know you've got american riders like uh kenzai can't remember his surname uh can never remember his surname uh kenzai is a japanese rider no he's mm -hmm. not he's japanese american yeah. um racing a moto five this year in the spanish championship you know they have to go over to spain to kind of take these advantages um it's no wonder you you are seeing purely spanish riders that's why go back to a previous point the vr46 academy was so good because yeah, it was great Italians, again, Italians in there. Yeah. And then there was a massive influx of Italians in Moto2 and Moto3, which is fantastic. And now they're just kind of like teetering off. We've had some Italians come through, but they've all come through Spanish programs. Um, one, Matteo Battelle did come through Italian program, to be fair. Came through the Chiv mm. and then through VR46 slightly, um, doing some races for them. But he came through the you know Italian system uh, but did a lot of time in the junior GPs. You've got Filippo Ferroli, who's raced for predominantly Spanish teams, 
in Spanish championships and then the junior GP. Um, you know, a lot of Italians have to take advantage of what the Spaniards can give them as well. Well, that's the thing, because I can't remember who said it or if we've spoken about it before, but, like, these young Spanish riders are hitting their peak when they're, like, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, like, Moto3, Moto2 age, and Mm. then they're getting um, their seats in MotoGP. But when you look at even, like, the British riders... Jake Dixon, for example, what age is he now? Twenty six, and like he's yeah. getting into his prime now, because he was behind everyone else, and he's had to learn everything, and now he's sort of up there and could be battling for the championship this year. Sam Lowe's mm. took a very long time to sort of get into the swing of things. I think it's great now that we have Scott Ogden and Josh Watley in this Moto Three Championship, giving them. Mm a slight head start but they've had to be in Spain for years before that competing in these sort of younger championships to even get them on a Moto3 seat so yeah the Spanish sort of yeah take over but there is there is flourishes now of maybe programs or now you've got like the vision track team and stuff like that that will hopefully help promote British riders riders, you know American racing team and Moto2 like Hopefully, it will eventually become a stage where it is even, to some yeah. extent. I I don't know. It's a possibility, no. but yeah, we'll but see. we'll have to see them go through the same Spanish programs, which is like it's a bit annoying that yeah. you know the British. You know, you've got BSB, which is a fantastic championship all the way through, and yes, you've had riders like Rory Skinner, uh, Jake Dixon, things like that, who have been able to go from the Premier British class to moto 2 which is amazing of course but you don't see riders like in the super sport class or the you know the they don't have a moto 3 series anymore they've just got the basically they've got the road to moto gp which is they've got them all in the british talent cup and stepping stone from the british talent cup isn't into moto 3 yeah it's into the european talent cup run the same bike just in europe you know you've got the champion johnny garnis last year who is now going to continue in the Britain Cup because of the age limit and also race in the um, European Talent Cup in Spain, you know, against the Spanish riders again and things yeah. like that. And it's, I mean, it's great for Spanish riders. And Emmanuel Brinton, you know, he's of the Estrella Galicia Manuel squad. Um, you got, what's his name? Casey Gorman. Obviously, mm. he's now doing a superb job in the Rebel Rookies as well. Um, but it's nice to see that there are more talents coming through. But as we say, going back to the earlier point, it's like, where will these kids get spot with the Spanish riders coming through as well? But like, where are any of them going to get spots too? Like, there's gonna there's gonna have to be some massive upset. Like, there's gonna be some clear outs in MotoGP. There's gonna have to be, and you're sort of starting to wonder where the hell that's gonna happen though, because there's riders who have been there for a long time now that are established, but then you get the likes of Alicia Spagaro. Now I know his example is probably a bit dramatic that he's been there sort of eighteen, nineteen years now, but mm. it's clear to see that some riders need time, and if someone like that can come in and make a bike race winning and champion like be at championship potential you don't want to get rid of them for some youngster who might be able to do it Mm. so it's going to be hard for the team bosses do you gamble on rookies or Mm. do you stick with the people who are working hard and working towards 
championships. Yeah, we're going to see, like in F1, where there's like a ton of really fast riders in F2 being shipped out to like World Superbikes and things like that. But they're going to have to be shipped back no in. Seats. This is yeah. the thing. It's, it's, it's weird, isn't it? Because like, when you look at the grids, the MotoGP grid is outstanding, but then there's a number of riders on there that you look at and you go, I could see you getting removed. You know, even it like race winners, you know, we'll go through right quickly. If fat Augusto Fernandez doesn't cut the mustard, gone. He's gone at the, the end mustard, of the year. Gone. This is the thing. Yeah, Augusto Fernandez, I up. would hate to be him. Oh, yeah. He's he is like, oh, shit, you know. Yeah. Um, Fabio Digia, Nakagami, Franco Morbidelli, Aspargo, Jack Miller, maybe Rins, Vinales potentially. You know, all those riders are amazing riders. Best mm. in the world. You know, outstanding riders. Well, most nearly all of them are world champions, outstanding riders. They're not cutting the mustard, and Ethan Guevara is available, and Pedro Costa is available, and Sergio Garcia has just won a Moto Two World Championship. Then you know you're not going to get seat, and you know look at riders like Aaron Canet, who was looking really good. Yeah, he very much has a chance to get leapfrogged by Ethan Guevara. This is the problem now. Moto Two is too stacked. They have a they're coming into a massive problem now because you've got the likes of Aaron Canet. Uh, Albert Arenas, Jake Dixon, Tony Arbelino sort of starting to fall into that category now. Mm. Joe Roberts, uh, Lorenzo Dallaporta. Like a lot of riders now that have been there for a couple of years, the next logical step is for them to move up. But all these buddies coming behind them, you know, at 18 years old, are now also starting to make that step up. And it's it's not adding up. Like the, the scale is all wrong. That mm. yeah, a lot of these riders could be stuck in Moto 2 now. Where do you yeah. go? And these people like Pedro Acosta, Isan Guevara, Vrieda in a couple of years are all going to be wanting MotoGP seats at the same time. Mm, and they'll always go, obviously, the younger ones. And then you send... It's probably why World Supersport, the grid's still stacked in yeah. there. You know, you've got Manzi, you've got Nicola Belega, you've got, obviously, Jorge Navarro, Marcel Schrotter. You know, some really top talents that really could have made it to MotoGP, given, mm-hmm. you know, a few more good results from them and MotoGP contracts could have been on their way, you know, and they're being shipped off to Supersport Championships and things like that because there's just no seats. And I guess it's, um, like, suffering from success, I guess. Yeah. Um, But it's, yeah, it's interesting, I think. I think in the next 10 years, it's going to be really interesting. Obviously, not every rider will make it, of course. No. and which is a shame, and there is too much talent for the seats, you know, when you see riders like David Salvador having to take another year in the junior GP because there was no, you know, obviously couldn't afford his bow seat, but, um, you know, you see riders like that who have the potential to get on the podium in the Moto3 World Championship who can't get a seat because he ain't got the money for it, and, yeah, it's, um, it's going to be a very interesting season. And very interesting in the next five, ten years to see who gets shipped off. And like we say, there is going to be some upsets. Like where when we saw Ikela Corona get shipped off to World Superbike. And exactly. stuff like that. And you're that like, was what the, the hell? stupidest decision ever made. Like, And there, yeah, mm. there's going to be a lot of upsets. I think there's riders who should leave the championship, probably aren't going to end up leaving the championship. And then riders that shouldn't be gone are going to get the boot for these young and up and coming mm. riders I think that's a worrying thing that could happen yeah it is it is very worrying um, 
Yeah, but I guess if you're not cutting the mustard, then you got to go, and it's a brutal sport, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, we'll see, we'll see. Yeah, we will. Um, right then, we've kind of yapped on about random shit today, <laughs> which, fuck it, why not, you know? It's not uh, what we planned on doing at all. <laughs> no, but you know what? It's, it's fine, it is what it is. <laughs> but we'll do some um, predictions, because... If you listened to the podcast last year, you'll know we did predictions at the end. No, before every race weekend, we did predictions for who got pole, third, second, and first in the MotoGP races. And we scored you on the points. And now we're doing the sprint race winner as well. Oh, God. Um, yeah. This, yeah. This is going to be fun. Um, oh, my God. There we go. Copy, paste. Um, so yeah, we're basically going to do the um, sprint race as well. I'm just going to input the point sprint race winner. So this is how the points are laid out. I'm going to record this once, and then camera can <laughs> clip it for the rest <laughs> of the year. Yeah, and the rest of the year. So with our predictions, this is how the points are laid out. You get one point for correctly predicting a rider to be on any place on the podium. You additionally get a single point if you predict pole position for uh, each class. We'll do Moto3, Moto2 and MotoGP. You get five points if you manage to correctly predict pole position for Moto2, Moto3 and MotoGP. If you get a correct podium position for second or third. So, for example, if you picked Quattararo to get third and he finishes third, you get five points. If you correctly predict the race winner, you get ten points. If you correctly predict the sprint race winner, you'll also get ten points. If you get the podium, all three riders on the podium correct, but they're in position, they're out of position, sorry, you get 15 points. If you correctly, incorrectly, sorry, predict the podium positions, but you get pole position, we'll give you 20 points. So same thing as 15 points, but you get pole. If you get the podium and positions correct, you get 25 points. If you get podium positions correct and pole correct, we'll give you 30 and if you can get podium and pole in all three classes, we'll give you 100 points. I hope you are ready to lose this year, boys. I swear um, to God I am winning it nah. this year. <laughs> I won it last year by a country mile. I'm coming for my title. I almost did an Alonso <laughs> Lopez. If I had a couple more weeks, I would have been up there. Yeah, to be fair, you did come in and absolutely destroy Jacob and all that. So exactly. You did pretty good, but it's a new year. It's a new door. It's a new day. It's a new light. Um, I did get some from Cameron, but he doesn't hasn't given me his um, pole positions, which is great. Love that from Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna have to do it without Cameron's pole positions, but we will go with Moto three first. So I'm gonna pick for pole position. I'm gonna go with Sasaki. What about you, Lauren? Oh, I was gonna go with him, but I'm gonna pick someone different because I don't want to pick the okay. same people. Um. Right. Oh, that's kind of a shout. Romano Fanati. Oh, yeah, Romano Fanati back in Moto3. Hmm, could be an interesting one, you know. Um, Cameron obviously hasn't picked one. Um, third place, please, for the podium, Lauren. Oh, there's so many people I want to pick. Um, Dennis Onchu. Onchu, good shout, good shout. Um, his brother just won in um in the Super Sports, so maybe mm-hmm. Onchu could pick a win out. Maybe um third place, I'm gonna go with Sasaki as well. I'm gonna go podium to th- no pole to third. 
Cameron's gone with Fanati to make a podium on his return. Second place, I have gone for Onshu. Cameron's gone Sasaki, and you have gone with. Um, I have gone with. I should have thought about this before. <laughs> <laughs> I have gone with Rueda. Nice. Okay, Rueda. Good job. Good job. I think he'll start strong. Do well. Okay. Well, me and Cameron have gone for Rueda to win. So. Oh, no. <laughs> I can't believe you've done that. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> Starting very strong. Okay. <laughs> Oh God! Right. Mm. Who who are you going for the winner? Oh, I don't know. Um, winner. So I've gone with Onshu Rieda. I'll back Sasaki. You know. Sasaki, yeah. yeah. Fair shout. Fair shout. Sasaki, nice. Good shout. Okay, right. Moto two pole position. Right, I'm going to go Pedro Acosta just because it's <laughs> Pedro Acosta. Yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> I think it'll be Aaron Cannot. Cannot, okay. Nice. He um, racked up a few poles last year, to be mm. fair. Um, third place, Cameron went for Sam Lowe's. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. I yeah. wa- Do you know I would... Yeah, I want to see it happen. Yeah. But I'm not going nice. to pick him. <laughs> no, I'm not going to pick him either. Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> no. I've kind of counted out Agura because I don't have much faith in him this year. I don't know. It's weird. No, I'm, like, I'm not I, I thinking it. I think it would be silly to rule him out, but I don't think the yeah. first race of the season is going to be him at his strongest. Yeah, that's a fair shout. How do you come so, back from what happened last year? <laughs> Yeah, God, that was an upset, wasn't it? So, third place on the podium. I'm gonna go with uh, flipping it. There's too many. Arbolino, why not? Okay. Arbolino, who are you gonna go for? I'm gonna go Jake Dixon. Dixon, Dixon out for Dixon. Yeah. Third place as always for Dixon. He loves that third place. Yeah. <laughs> I think he'll get this third place, and then I'm expecting bigger and better things from him. In the races okay. to come. If he doesn't want to race this year, I'm, I'm going to stop supporting him. I'm telling yeah, you that yeah. now. Understandable. <laughs> uh, that's a joke. I actually well, I really like Jake. <laughs> Don't yeah, take me seriously right. with that one. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Second place. Myself and Cameron have gone for Canet. Okay. It's really annoying because we've pretty much gone for the same winner as well. Oh. Okay. Um, who are you going for for second? I think it'll be Tony Arbolino. Arbolino, okay, good shout. I mean, I've gone from third, so podium is points anyway. Um, who have you gone for the winner? Can't be none other than Pedro Costa. Yeah, me and Cameron have gone with the same. Oh, see, <laughs> see when we get really humbled on Sunday when it's not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're like, what the hell? <laughs> oh. Right, Mer GP pole position. I'm going to go with Bang Nye just because he smashed that record. Jorge Martin. Just- Jorge Martin, I mean, fair shout. He's a pole hound after all. Um, sprint race winner, please. I don't know. I really don't know. Um, I think it'll be someone stupid. 
I said yeah. stupid. Stupid isn't what I mean. Like someone yeah, like, like out of the box. Like... Yeah. Oh, do you know what I'm gonna put down? Just because I want to see it happen. Alex Rins. Nice, yeah. Just because I want, the last yeah. Suzuki and then, yeah. Well, they won't officially count. You know, like with the Rossi stat, where it's like Rossi won the last race on the yeah. Valencia and then the first race on the Yamaha. That it won't count towards the official. It'll count in my well, eyes. Because cool. nice. I don't see him winning the race on Sunday. No, I don't. No chance. But it would be a nice piece of history, unofficially. Yeah, it would. Yeah, it would. Yeah. Um, Third play. Oh, Kamu at Mizarko as well. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, right. So, third place, please, Lauren. I think it'll be... Zarko. Third place. Okay, yeah. I mean, fair enough. Zarko likes that good old third. Yeah. Um, he likes, like, second and third places. He'll take a lot of in the early mm. season and then disappear. Um, so you've gone Zarko third. I have gone with Mark Marquez. I need to specify Mark because Alex is very much with attention now. I wanted to Mark say Mark. Marquez. I did want to say Mark. Yeah, Mark and Mark. And Cameron's gone with Fabio Quattararo. Okay. Yeah, not a bad shout. Second place, I have gone out of the box a little bit with Luca Marini. No, he's not just going to come straight in and go second place, I don't think. You know, it'd be like a slow burner. Yeah, it'd be building yeah. towards. That. I genuinely see him getting like a fifth, a fourth, a third, a second, and then a first. Like I, I first, genuinely yeah. see it building like that. Yeah, understandable. Yeah, I mean, could happen. Okay, uh, Cameron's got with Peko second, by Naya second, which is intriguing. Oh my one. god, you know someone I've just completely forgotten about. Really? <laughs> I just forgot about Bashanini. Oh, uh, yeah. I put him for a sprint race winner, so... <laughs> oh, I'm sinking there, and then I was like, wait a second. Wait, who's that guy? I've disregarded Ducati completely. Yeah, don't underestimate Ducati, who found out last year. Oh, gosh. Okay. They just emailed me to say they've, they've uh, extended a Shell part, partnership with Shell, so that's nice of them. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Oh, no, I'm sticking with my... Mm, yeah, I'll stick with my guns. I'll stick with who I've, I've thought of. Okay, second place, please. Alicia Spagro. Oh, Alicia. Nice. Okay. Good shout. Fair bout. I completely disregarded him myself, to be fair, <laughs> so... Whoops. Um, for the win, I've gone with Bang Naya. Because... Hard to look past him, unfortunately. Uh, well, maybe not, unfortunately. Um, Cameron, for the winner, has gone with Vinales. Which is an interesting one. Not at Portimao. No. Very odd one, Cameron, but, you know, I respect your opinion and all that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Lauren, who have you gone for? I have gone for Fabio Quattararo. Okay. Any reason why? First few races of the season are always mad, and I think he won there last year very convincingly. Mm-hmm. So, no thoughts, just vibes. For this okay. one. Yeah, just five. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. Um Great. Well that's our those are our position. Position Oh my god, I just wed the word. I can't <laughs> talk. I just read the word positions and then said it and then it went wed instead of red. God <laughs> almighty. It's Jesus a long Christ. year, guys. Yeah, oh my god. No wonder. 
people can be unsubscribing for the podcast <laughs> in no time. <laughs> like, why am I signed up for this crap? Um, but yes, I hope you've enjoyed listening to our first podcast of the 2023 season. Um, sorry if we rumble too much. I'm sure I'm not going to be sorry. It's my podcast. Talk for one. Sorry, not sorry. Um, yeah, sorry, not sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, I hope you've enjoyed listening, and we're back next week after the races with um our thoughts on the races. So yeah, yeah. And yeah. I can prove everyone that I was right. <laughs> no, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you for listening, and we're back next time. Goodbye. Bye.